0: If we focus on the glory, if the glory is our goal, we will miss the mark. The glory cannot be our goal. Our purpose, destination, our purpose slash destination is His glory on the earth. Five times in the Old Testament, uh, four times it says the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, one time it says the knowledge of the glory. So even where His glory does not come, they will at least know that somewhere on the earth His glory has come. There will be more places on the earth where His glory comes than places that it will not come. Numbers 14, 21, Psalm 72, 19, Isaiah 6, 3, Habakkuk 3, 3 all say that the earth will be filled with His glory. So, how do we get there? John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son, which comes from the Father. And then it gives a description of Jesus, the one who the disciples said, When we saw Him, we saw the glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, Here's, here's a key to the glory. He was full of grace and truth. So that verse is John 114. That means a lot because Psalm 8914 connects with this. Psalm 8914 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. That is the beginning of the glory. When the throne of God becomes established in our hearts, then the king begins to reign in the kingdom within us. The kingdom of god is within us the kingdom of heaven is in heaven what we need is the two to meet the kingdom of god within us has to meet with the kingdom of heaven that's being poured out on the earth so what i need to do is establish in my heart righteousness and justice what is righteousness it's becoming one with him once i'm walking in righteousness, I know that I am knit with him and we are one. And then there is justice, righteousness and justice. So it's not just being one with him, but it's also justice. What is justice? It means that I'm weighing the things of this earth the way that he weighs them. I'm calling evil, evil, wicked, wicked, good, good, holy, holy, and we need to be very careful because in the very near future, there's coming a time where a new season will begin And at the beginning of that season, what is called holy will remain holy, and what is not, will not. And I don't think that there's a season on this earth, as long as the Holy Spirit's on this earth, that man cannot repent to become holy. But there is a place where there are things coming on the earth that will bring offense into our hearts, and where your heart is offended, there is no repentance. All you can do is cry out to him until the shepherd comes by and restores your soul. It's not up to us when that happens. He says the sun rises every morning and it sets every day in Psalms. And as it goes across the sky, it surveys the ways of man. It surveys our hearts. It surveys our our words and our actions. So there's something that happens during the day that God is taking a look on humanity, and then Job said that God comes to us in the night seasons. Maybe what the way that he's coming to us in the night seasons is determined by the survey that he's taking of our lives during the day. So every season is being evaluated, every day is being judged and surveyed and tested. More than likely, what you're going to see come to fruition in this current season will be based on how you lived in the last season. If you rang your mouth when God told you to be quiet, that will hinder the level of authority that God can give you in this season. And we need to know right now, God is not a critic. He does not sit in heaven and point out everybody's failures and pick them apart. And as long as people in the church are doing it, the church is not going to be seated in heavenly places. We're fooling ourselves. God is not going to sit beside anybody that's got a critical spirit on them. So you need to shut your mouth and stop agreeing with the devil. Psalm eighty nine fourteen. All right, so we're talking about Jesus, we saw the glory in him. How did we know it was his glory? Because we saw in him the fullness of grace and truth. So then Psalm eighty-nine fourteen confirms this. Righteousness and judge, uh, justice are the foundation of his throne. Look at this, and grace and truth. The same thing they saw in Jesus was mentioned in Psalm eighty-nine fourteen concerning the throne of God, grace and truth go before his face. When the face of the Lord begins to shine upon the earth, the glory of the Lord is being released. So where do we get, how do we get the face of the Lord to shine upon us? By righteousness and justice and establishing his throne, taking authority that is in agreement with God and then grace or mercy as... Um, is one translation of the Hebrew word, mercy and truth. Truth alone is not going to do it. Truth alone will not do it. Um, We'll read about that in a minute. So, here's the pattern for glory. Love, hope, and faith. So let's talk about love for a minute. Ephesians chapter 3. I'll read it just to save time. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19 says that according to the riches what are riches riches are the overflow of abundance beyond someone's needs so if i were to sit down and make out a budget and say this is what i owe on my home on my car my utilities insurance all those bills gets added up and then i put my income next to it all right Um, assets plus liabilities equals owner's equity and all the accountants said amen Whatever's left at the bottom, hopefully it's not in red ink, it's in black ink. What is left after you pay your bills is the riches of your life. It's the abundance, it's the overflow. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, according to the riches, according to after God pays the bills for all the sin of mankind, here's what's left, his glory that according to the riches of his glory." So that means as his debt, as he is paying our debt of sin by the blood of Jesus, we have to apply that blood to pay the same debt. Then we have to seek him beyond salvation, beyond repentance, and enter into the riches, the over and abundance, beyond just getting forgiveness. All right, if you're one that has to keep going to God constantly for forgiveness, either A, you're under condemnation, see me after church, we'll get that sucker off of you, or B, you've got to change some way that you're living your life, you're constantly living in sin. If we're constantly living in sin, we will never experience the overflow of God's abundance after he's paying the debt for our sin. So according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, All right, so once we've dealt with the sin and all that's paid for, now the riches are overflowing of his glory. Now he can begin to grant us to be strengthened with power. And we've just got a skewed idea of what the power of God is. And this goes against a lot of what you guys know I believe. If I don't ever see another person healed, whatever, so be it. If I don't ever see another miracle, if I don't ever see another financial blessing, whatever. Why? Because here's the power that we're talking about in the riches, the overflow of His glory. To be strengthened with power through His Spirit, not for your wallet, not for your house, not for your sickness and disease, but in your inner being. In other words, you're spirit man. So that's beyond the flesh and its needs. That's beyond your emotions and its needs. That's beyond your thoughts and imaginations. This is talking to the core of you. So the riches of his glory grants us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner man. All right. Verse 17. So why would God want us to do this? So Paul's just writing as the Holy Spirit says this. Verse 17: So, why these riches of glory, so that we can be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner man, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Okay, but I thought it just talked about the inner man and what's the difference? The difference is the Holy Spirit dwells in our spirit, but the overflow of the glory of God means in verse 17 that Christ. The anointing, the authority of the anointed one moves from our spirit now into our hearts. And where this has happened, so see the progression here? We just read this and we're like, hallelujah, I'm saved, I got it all, go on. And really, we don't have squat. Why? Because we've not paid the price to cry out to God to see the riches, the overflow of his glory granted to us. We're living in this false grace mentality in this culture that we're in that says there's no reason to be desperate for God, there's no reason to seek God, and that's a lie. And it's killing the American church, and it's allowing the enemy to take all the ground that he wants. It's a lie, period. So the second step of all this is so that God, Christ, may dwell in our hearts. Why do I need Christ to dwell in my heart? Because that's when I can say, I believe. That's when no matter what the devil brings at me, I can say, I got you sucker, because I believe. My faith is not fading away. My hope is, is a firm foundation. My love is rooted and grounded in Christ. I will not bend. I will not bend. I know what I believe. I've come too far to turn back now. I've got a mature love for Jesus. All right, so that's why. Now, the rest of 17 says, how? All right, the why is no good if I don't know how. See, we've got the word of knowledge that tells us who we are and where we are. We sometimes get a word of prophecy that says who you're going to be and where you're going to go and what you're going to do. What we've been missing is the Spirit, the Word of Wisdom, to get us from where we are to where we're going. Here's the biggest reason that we don't see the gift of wisdom operating more in the church, is because the church is lacking wisdom. Where does the church get wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Which means all we've got left is knowledge and a prophecy. And that maybe that's why Paul said where there were prophecies, they're out of here. Because love is coming. And love is the last thread that we can hold on to to get us through this. Are you all with me? Am I talking too fast? All right, so how am I getting all this? How am I getting the riches of his glory? How is he granting to me strength and power through His Spirit into my inner being so that now Christ can move out into my heart through faith. That you being rooted. Here's something cool about being rooted. That's where you draw nutrients. People who aren't rooted, you're just a passing cloud with no moisture in it. And I'm not talking about being in church. I'm talking about people who know more of what it's like to be in his presence than out of his presence. That's rooted. Take those perennials that you planted last spring and every two weeks uproot them and move them to a different place in the yard, and then do it another two weeks later, do it another two weeks later, and tell me how healthy that perennial is at the end of the season. It's not. And yet we think it's okay to hop from church to church to church, to teaching, to conference, to belief, whatever. And we wonder why we're not healthy. Well, you just said it's not about church. No, but it is about finding your tribe, where what is being preached and taught in the presence of God bears witness with your spirit and the Holy Spirit within you and you settle into that and we begin to come together as one body in Christ and stop being divided. We are suffering malnutrition because we're not sticking in long enough to be rooted and grounded in love. So to be rooted is drawing nutrients. To be grounded is to lay a basis for. There's got to be a foundation. If there's no foundation, we're just flying by night. Rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18. All right, so all this is just so we can accomplish, verse 18, that we may have power. Now, this isn't what we were talking about earlier, the power coming in. But now the power is beginning to flow out. That we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So as soon as the whole body of Christ starts walking in this, here we go. It's on. The glory is going to begin to come. So we can be together with all the Lord's holy people in this power to grasp So this is just the beginning still, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So all that, just to have a revelation of how deep his love is. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So to be intimate with it. So again, I can ask, how many of you know Jesus loves you? Okay, how many of you know his love? There's a big difference. The devil knows Jesus loves you, but he doesn't experience that love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, here you go, that you may be filled to the measure. So, to what standard of measure? What are we talking about? We're we talking about a cup, a gallon, a five pound sack? To the measure of all the fullness. Of God what is the glory the fullness of God so I'm gonna hurry along true love can only be obtained by encountering him so how do we get to the glory we first have to start with love we first have to start with an encounter of love when was the last time you encountered his love In other words, when was the last time that the knife of his love ripped across your heart and you were broken at the abundance of the revelation of his love? If you've never experienced that, you need to question your salvation. A grown man gets circumcised and he's out for three days and we think the circumcision of heart is any less. It's not. The circumcision of heart will strike you down hard deep in your heart, the sword of the Spirit entering into your heart, making a way for the Holy Spirit to come in and take up residence in you, and you cry out for the name of Jesus, and you're born again. But it's not just a one-time occasion. When you got born again, God gave you a new wineskin, but now it's time to let him cut you again to make a new wineskin for the new wine that he's pouring out. Last season's wineskin will not survive this season. It will not. He's got a new vintage, he's pressing those grapes and it's pouring out and he's waiting to see who's got a new wineskin that can hold on to this wine. Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with and I am straightened till it is accomplished. Where did he get that? After going up on the mountain and Moses and Elijah telling him, you're about to be crucified. It says he was straightened. That word straightened means that the walls have now moved in. I can no longer turn to the left or the right. I can't afford any distractions. And the Holy Spirit is packing gunpowder behind me and he's about to shoot me to the cross. I am straightened. Another uh, interpretation of that word is to be compelled by the love of God. Meaning the love of God takes your eyes off everything over here, everything over there. God sets the walls around you like a gun barrel and starts packing the powder in behind you, and he's about to shoot you. Jesus. True love can only be obtained by encountering him. Seek the encounter until it happens. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then get desperate and just start crying out to God until it does. A true encounter, it's not about the encounter. The encounter is Him. So don't come to me and say, I had an encounter and tell me all these revelations and never mention Jesus. You didn't have an encounter. Unless you experienced Jesus, you did not have an encounter. I'm saying this because I feel the weight of the season that we're entering into and we're not ready. We are not ready. Hell's army is strong, and they are loaded to the teeth, and they are firing at the church, and we're just sleeping through it. Corporate love versus personal love. The whole reason that this place exists is so people can come in and experience a corporate setting of God's love. But this is not the finish line. This is not what is supposed to fully satisfy you. The presence of God, I pray, is just here enough for us to experience his love, to give us a hunger to go home and tell whoever, I'm going in the bedroom and seeking the Lord. If the worship music's too loud, just tap on the door. I'll turn it down a little bit. But I'm going after God. I've got to have a personal encounter with the love of God. I appreciate the corporate encounter, but all it's doing is stirring a hunger within me. That's the Holy Spirit stirring that in you. Now run with it personal. You've got to have a personal encounter with God. This whole, the the corporate meetings and the conferences, the biggest downfall to that is we are drinking other people's anointings. When John wrote in 1 John, Beloved, you have an anointing. Beloved, the Father loves you. You love Him. If that's mutual, you have an anointing. So why do you have to drink off of everybody else's? Get your own revelation because God is tailoring your call, your purpose, your priesthood. He's tailoring it. This junk about, well, you need to go to this ministry and hang out for a couple weeks. Man, I am the ministry. I'm not hanging out with anybody but Jesus. I'm not against these ministries, but they're doing what God called them to do. I'm doing what God called me to do. What's he called me to do? To love him with all that's within me. And to help everybody else do the same. That's when you start getting equipped for your calling, for your purpose. The corporate experience only brings hunger for the personal. And only the personal encounter will maintain and sustain you. Give you an example, love of country causes anger. I absolutely love this nation and it makes me mad to see what some people are doing to this nation. It absolutely makes me mad. But without the love of God, there's no hope for this nation. There's no faith for this nation. And this nation right now needs more hope and faith than it ever has. And if we the church are too busy getting mad at the armies that are tearing this nation down, we're going to be offended and we're not going to have any hope and faith to see this nation resurrected again and fulfill the covenant for which God birthed it. The scripture says, be angry and sin not. So sin is this, and y'all have heard me say this before, sin is thinking less of something than what God thinks of it. Feeling less for something than what God thinks of it. So it's okay to be angry about our nation and the way it's being ravished. But you can't be so angry that you think less of the people that the devil's using than what God thinks of them. Because as soon as you come down from that, you no longer have the authority to intercede for them. I don't like them either. But Jesus died for them. And if my anger of what they're doing causes me to not be able to love them the way he loves them, I have no authority to pray for them. I'm just talking in the wind. Same way with the church. I don't like what some are doing to the church. But when I begin to criticize and accuse them, all I'm doing is putting the yoke of the devil with me and walking with him. The criticism stops here. I'm trying to find a landing spot. So I've only got to love. I still got hope and faith. So we'll close with this. When when the scripture talks about nations, it's talking about the masses of people. Psalm 102.15 gives us a promise. It says, Nations will fear the name of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom wisdom is the beginning of getting us to where we need to be so that when we get to where we need to be God can say, now my glory can come. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth will then fear His glory. Revelation fourteen seven says, If you fear God, And you can give him glory. If you fear God, then you can give him glory. Glory is birthed in the fear of the Lord. So we must obtain a love for his glory before we can have a hope for his glory. And we have to have hope for his glory before we can release the faith of his glory. So, it's like a tree. I said this last week. Love is the roots. Hope is the tree. Faith is the fruit. When the church begins to feed the earth the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23. When the church begins to feed the earth the fruit of the Spirit, they will begin to taste and see that the Lord, which is Yehovah, which means Holy Spirit, is good.